Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Wild Connection, the podcast. I know Women's History Month is over, but I have one more spectacular woman to round out the official Women in Science series. First, though, big thank you to the American Geophysical Union for their Sharing Science grant. There will be some videos coming out soon on Wild Connection TV featuring some of the women that were part of the series, so I'll keep you posted on that. I also want to take a moment to thank everybody for listening and taking time out of your busy schedule to support the show. There are some wonderful episodes coming up in the next few months, and I am excited to keep the show going. So let's go. Welcome to Wild Connection, the podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Vertolin, but you can call me Dr. Jen. I'm a scientist and author that studies animal behavior. I'm passionate about animals, and I love helping people reconnect with nature to live better lives. This podcast is about you, other animals, and how we are connected in this wild and crazy thing called life. You can get the show notes and more on my website, jenniferverdelin.com, or on the podcast website, Wild Connection, the podcast, hosted by Podbean. If you like the show, please subscribe to it so you never miss an episode. This week's episode features someone near and dear to me. She was my veterinarian who helped me take care of my beloved Senor Antonio Botones in his final weeks. In fact, I'm dedicating this episode to him because it is coming up on a year that he has passed. And as you'll hear in the show, veterinarians have one of the highest suicide rates by profession. So be sure to check out the show notes for links to help support veterinarians. Dr. Marty Edwards, though, is more than just a veterinarian. She's also a humanitarian, as far as I'm concerned. And she is a veterinarian that comes to you, which means she's had some experiences. I got to sit down with her to learn more about how she got interested in veterinary medicine, get a sneak peek into some of her home visit adventures, and learn about her volunteer work spaying and neutering cats on Hatteras Island in North Carolina. Hey, everybody. I am so excited to have Dr. Marty Edwards on the show. She is a brilliant and amazing veterinarian who took care of my very own family. Welcome. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. I'm, yes. All, I'm fumbly already. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's all right. Uh, you know, I'm fumbly because, you know, Nervous. I really admire you. And so, you know, I feel a lot of pressure to to do a really good job on the interview. Well, um, it goes both ways. I actually admire your ability to teach and to uh, um, go beyond teaching and do so many different things the videos and the podcast. I wouldn't even know how to start a podcast. I, I, I actually just before this updated my Zoom and I was... <laughs> and Zoom always demands an update just when you yes. finally and decide like, to use it. Password? I don't see a place to put a password <laughs> until I updated the Zoom. Oh, join! <laughs> that button! <laughs> But listen, that's okay because you do surgeries. You and you're a you you also are a mobile vet, so you go into people's homes, and yeah. and, and so you know there, there's a lot going on when that happens. Yeah, yeah, 
Um, and and you see all kinds of things. You know, I I see immaculate houses, and they don't want to spend anything. I see people who are are living very very simply in a very very small home who would spend everything on their animals. You know, I've had people come quite inappropriately dressed to the door in <laughs> boxers, you know, and you're like hoping nothing jumps out. <laughs> um, That's awkward. It, yeah. 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 I imagine yeah. though you take it in stride. You seem to just kind of roll Keep with whatever, just whatever's coming through your way. You're like, oh, step aside. Where's the, where's the, where's the animal? <laughs> Yes, I've been flashed full oh, frontal. Yeah, on purpose or by accident? Oh yeah, on purpose. Oh my. Yeah. Okay, so there's some sexual harassment that's going on. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and I just thought, you know it was a woman too, and I was like, oh yeah, it was. Oh, hot. I'm sorry. I assumed it was a man. I apologize to all the because men I out had there. Just said boxers. Yeah. Yes. yes. <laughs> full frontal, and actually, this to be sick. She didn't have to lift up her shirt very high to show me. A- <laughs> wow so, and and I sort of was like you know actually I can't be embarrassed you know so I I don't know what you're trying to pull but it, it you know this I'm not falling for that shit yeah, yeah. And she was like I'm gonna go you're gonna have to cut this part out okay. I'm gonna go back in here in the uh to the bathroom to get my money out of my and I said, you're going to have to put it in a plastic bag because I'm not touching it. We will find, I will learn how to do a beep on the <laughs> podcast. I, I, I know, I've never had to do that, but we'll just put a, I'll have to get the money out of my beep. <laughs> wow. That yeah. is. And that, I was like, you put that in a plastic bag before you hand me that. And do you have an autoclave at your, at your, at your I do, then, I do now. <laughs> For the listeners out there that don't know what an autoclave is. That's what you call laundering money. (laughs) Ah, And in this case, uh, you know, I don't know, autoclaving heats and or UV light, you know, would would kill whatever's on there. Wow. Well, and so when we compare that to what you have dealt with as a veterinarian and, um, you know, I was going to be a a veterinarian at one time, but I had this uh, knack for passing out regularly. Yeah. So, so can you, I always love for listeners to get a sense of how people got into their chosen careers. How did you, how did you decide to become a veterinarian? It was sort of a roundabout way. I wanted to be a marine biologist all my life. And so I had plans to go to UNCW forever. And um, once I got there, and actually I, I should tell you that I, um, managed to get through high school with a C plus average without much effort at all. So I didn't know how to study or anything. So once I got to UNCW, they said, you and every other little girl in the world wants to be, are you and everybody wants to be a marine biologist, Jacques Cousteau. They knew we all grew up with Jacques Cousteau. And so um, they sort of threw me to the wolves. And one of my classes was a senior seminar class where I had to write a, uh, 10 page research paper on krill. Oh, exciting topic, krill. Yeah, 10 pages. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're only interesting in that they feed some baleen whales and, and other, you know, and other large uh, marine mammals. That's about mm-hmm. the most interesting yeah. thing about and krill. Re- 
repeated that about a thousand times and made an F. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, Dr. Uh, Marty got an F. Oh my gosh. After that semester, I decided that maybe marine biology wasn't for me. I had missed my flair, my artistic flair, and I wanted to go to art school. And and I actually spent a year at art school at um, Virginia Commonwealth University, and um, I didn't do much better there either. So I took a little break um, and ended up on a sailboat for a little while. Okay. And uh, got a little homesick, and my mom was living in Beaufort. And once I got to Beaufort, I had to drive by the community college every day to go to the grocery store. And, you know, it was kind of nagging at me that um, it it was time to get back to school unless I wanted to wait tables for the rest of my life. And so um, I started at the community college just taking psychology and sociology and anthropology and whatever they took. And I actually took everything that they offered and they were like, you've got to go (laughs) free. And it was an ECU extension. Okay. So the thought of going to ECU, I looked at wildlife biology and what the wildlife officers were doing in Beaufort was giving speeding tickets to both to boaters. Oh, that doesn't sound very interesting. Yeah. And, and drinking and boating, tickets and things like that. And so that wasn't my deal. I wanted to be more like out on those islands, watching the ponies. And so that's when I realized that maybe my volunteer job at the wildlife shelter was, was really helping me find my direction. And I was at a conference following the veterinarians around like a little puppy when I realized that actually for the first time in my life at community college, I was making good grades and I might actually be able to get into vet school. So I tried it, transferred to uh, NC state and um, you know, because I wanted it so bad for the first time I excelled. Wow. And the rest and is somewhere history. along the way I learned how to study. Yeah. Well, you know, it's so interesting uh, because as I've gotten to know you better, I'm realizing how many similarities they are, there are in, my, in our backgrounds. So I dropped out of high school. I didn't even graduate. And I'm amazed people, I did. Yeah, I know. I, and a lot of people don't know that about me. I'm, I'm now yeah. announcing it on the podcast, but you know, <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know how many listeners there are, but you know, um, so yeah, I dropped out of high school and I went to community college and I, I didn't know how to study. And I didn't know when I had to wait tables, you know, mm-hmm. a lot. And so it was like one class here, one class there. And I didn't know what I wanted to do, except that I wanted to do something with animals. And at that time, really like the the one marine person, marine biology person at FAU was a very unkind male uh, faculty member who, you know, dominated the sort of sea turtle research group. and there wasn't really a lot of opportunities. So I thought, why well, maybe I want to be a veterinarian. And so I started working at a veterinarian's office and the first clue <laughs> that this wasn't going to pan out was when I had a parakeet and I, I brought it to my vet. It was sick. It was hemorrhaging all over the place. And apparently, you know, I didn't know that supermarket bird food doesn't they have to lick all the coloring at that time off of the seeds to get vitamin K. And so there was a 
bird vet in, in Florida who made this food and, um, they had to tube feed my, my bird. And I said, no, no, I can do it. I can take it home and do this. I want to be a veterinarian. Show me how. So in the office, when I saw the tube go through and hit the, the crop, I, I apparently changed many shades of colors (laughs) (laughs) and I slid to the floor out cold completely like the the whatever those smelling salt things they put under your nose that was mm-hmm. what was required and they they were like we have never seen anyone change so many colors so quickly so unfortunately unfortunately azura had to stay at the vet until um she had accepted the new food without any problems the second clue <laughs> was when i was a vet tech and we, there was a dog that, um, no, a cat that had a kitten calcified in its stomach. So the x-ray had shown like six kittens, but only five were born. And mm-hmm. the owners sort of didn't do math maybe well. And, <laughs> right? And like five, I don't know why they waited weeks and the cat was really sick. And when they, when, so blood didn't bother me, but when this calcified fur ball came out of the stomach, there was a certain odor mm-hmm. associated with wow. that. Yeah. And, and, and I was asked, can you help? And I leaned against the wall and slid like a worm, you know, on the, onto the floor. Yeah. Completely passed yeah. out. Yeah. And my my wonderful vet said, you know, you probably are smart enough to pass the classes, but this isn't even near the grossest thing that you're going to encounter. Mm-hmm. Is that it's true? A shocking thing. It was a shocking thing. It you was. Know, all, all of my students that come through, everybody gets a queasy moment. You know, particularly one of the first things they see is a neuter. And as we're pulling on the testicle, uh-huh. there's, there's a few pops. And I always tell them it's the pop part because it's it's folded on itself to make it so long. Right. So you've got to pull it out good and far to get all of the hormone producing tissue. And I always say there's going to be two pops and this is what drives everybody crazy. So I give them a little warning, but usually that makes them turn a little pale, get a little weak in the knees. Um, and, and how I know they're meant for it is if they come back, right? Most are like, "Mm, can't do that. Mm -mm." (laughs) Or if they come back and they go, well, I'm going to try that again. And during surgery lab at school, they would always warn us that if you don't eat breakfast and you're standing there all gowned up and getting hot underneath all these lights, you're going to get woozy, you know? So, um, and it's just the, it's one of those things. Yeah. Every now and then, if it makes your vet gag, it's got to be pretty bad. Yeah. Every now and then I see some ears that really. (gasps) Really? Yeah. At Cocker Spaniel, all those heavy ears, you know, they lift that up and it hadn't seen air in months. Mm-hmm. It, mm. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. I was encouraged to reach we'll get you. Yes, it was the smells. Blood was fine. I mean, I was in mm-hmm. surgeries where we had a, a Doberman with a broken bone and we were drilling. Well, I wasn't drilling. <laughs> the surgeons were <laughs> right, were drilling plates into the bone and I photographed the whole thing. Didn't bother me a bit. Mm-hmm. But it's the smells that the got smells. me. Yeah. And and 
you know, uh, I was encouraged at that point to reconsider my career. Yeah. So I was supposed to reconsider more than once. Yeah, Yeah. I did though. I I did reconsider. (laughs) And, and so, you know, and also because I think when there was a, um, when we had to let a golden retriever go that had cancer, I, Mm -hmm. I was crying harder than the owners. Yeah. And, and that was probably, you know, not the right response. Yeah. In, in the moment. Um, yeah. So I find those situations, it was too hard for it me. Is. It is. And I, I do a lot of crying. I did have a doctor that worked with me that said that that was not nice. That's making it all about me, but I, you can't help, but, you know, um, and there, there are times where I've cried harder than the owner and it's really bad when the owner's consoling me. Yeah. Um, you know, but, um, but I can't help sometimes that all of the last four or five euthanasias that you've done kind of build up and spill over sometimes it's a commercial sometimes it's the news how you know you never know a lot of times it's when I'm writing the sympathy cards yeah well you you know I had a I, I, I don't know why I listened you know to the the vet but I had a different vet years later his name Dr. Butzer and when my dog died, he he called me crying hysterically that he had died in the in the morning. Um, he had said good night to him at night. He didn't know what happened. He was so upset. He was beside himself that mm-hmm. that he had just died overnight for no yeah. reason. Yeah. And you know, and I found myself sort of like consoling him in the mm-hmm. office when I finally got there. And, and, and I was okay with that. It didn't, it didn't upset me. It made me feel like he cared so much mm-hmm. about, you know, you can't hide that. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, yeah. Care, the caring. And we we're in the business of saving lives and, and um, when you can't save them, it's, it's a, you know, you just feel like you're, uh, not good enough or, you know, that I, I, maybe it's not bad. It's just that, you know, you just think that maybe there's something you missed, you know, there's gotta be something that I missed something that, um, there's gotta be something else it can do. Yeah. Well, and you know, it's interesting. It is, I think, uh, for people who care, you know, and it's interesting because I think the COVID pandemic and, and what nurses and doctors have been facing where they can't save people has, has brought to light the mental health consequences of when your patients who you're charged with saving die despite your best efforts. And so, you know, can you talk a little bit about the veterinarian community at large and how uh, do people recognize the mental health sort of toll that this work takes on people in your profession? They're beginning to recognize it. Um, and and um, some of our lectures that I've listened to lately, self-help stuff or, or self-cure, I forget what they call it. Um, they're, a lot of people are turning to being life coaches and helping. Um, but really, they say that the people who go into veterinary medicine are are all quite typical of the same. We um, are overachieving and over expecting of ourselves. We expect ourselves to be perfect. 
and uh, really beat ourselves up badly when we can't be perfect. And that we also have clients that overexpect. And um, nowadays there's a demanding. Um, and I kind of feel like that, that sometimes people say things to us, they, my reception, that they, they wouldn't say directly to me. However, that, you know, oh, you can't see me today. Well, then I'm just going to have to get a new vet. You know, they would, you would never say that to your doctor. No. Yeah, there, there's a lot of things that people would never, ever, ever say to their doctor that they would say to me. And um, so, and then there's, a, a, you know, if you have a three euthanasia day, you feel like your heart's been stomped on. And then, you know, so you're recovering from that and it doesn't take much else to kind of push you over the edge. Yeah. And um, then on top of that, which is this one of the reasons why I don't Facebook anymore um, and I don't open social media is because we get harassed on social media for little things like a bad haircut or that, you know, we close at 4.30. Everybody knows we've closed at 4.30. Oops, you weren't here. Your animal stayed overnight. You get charged for a overnight boarding, you know, and then they'll yeah. get on the internet and tell all their friends. The next thing you know, there's talk about get the gun. So it can be kind of scary. Wow. I had no idea. And that that's really, that has to be very unsettling and frightening. And also just a lack of respect for, the, what you're doing, what you're providing. And, and it's sort of like, would they say that to their children's doctor? <laughs> no, even though they have to go to their children's doctor's office and I come to your home. Yeah. Um, but it, it's a, yeah, it's, a, it's a crazy, it, and you know, it, you think it's kind of shocking, but honestly, if you look at what's happening in the world, um, it's really not all that shocking. Yeah. People don't know how to behave anymore. Really I, I, I wouldn't disagree with that. What surprised me, there was a story a couple years ago, and then and you and I have talked about this, kind of circling back to the mental health component. There was a, a, a real kind of avalanche of suicides in, uh, in Japan of veterinarians in a, in a really brief period of time. And I'm not sure what triggered it, but... But when you and I have talked, you know, suicide among veterinarians is, is a growing problem. And do you have any insight into, is it, is it the euthanasias? Is it, what is kind of triggering this, this the whole crisis? Thing. Yeah. This crisis for veterinarians. Well, it probably starts with immense debt from school and low wages, unless you want to work for Mars Corporation. Banfield. Yeah. Which they're the only ones that pay enough to pay off your student loans because of who they are and, yeah. and what they do. And so it starts with that immense debt. And then, you know, we, even though we're overachievers, we're also tend to be low self-esteem or, or people pleasing, you know? And so and then you get harassment from the public. And then next thing you know, you j you're drowning in, in lot, you know, just you feel like you'll never get above water 
on that. And, and a lot of times there's toxic work environments as well. And so, or being overworked. Yeah. Is there if help? You go to work at that corporation that's going to pay you well, they're also going to work you to the bone. Right. And so, and then if you've got a family life, then you're feeling bad that you're not home. You're missing your children growing up. I could go on and on. Are there helplines? Are there support groups? There are helplines. There's a group called Not One More Vet that is uh, is online. Um, and it, a lot of people post on there where particularly if they're feeling beaten up, you wouldn't believe some of the letters you get. You wouldn't believe some of the stuff people will say online about me. I'm lucky. I've only had two bad reviews online, but I've had a lot of letters and a lot of threats. And usually it's because of something I won't do for free. Um, Yeah, I'm going to tell all my friends and I'm going to get online. And then so, of course, you start freaking out because it's your reputation. Absolutely. And and your reputation drives you and, and you care about what you do so much that it's almost like just also a personal assault on your character and your your heart, because I, I know you put your heart into what you do. And I'll make sure that uh, if there's a link for Not One More Vet, that it's in the show notes, you know, that way it's available uh, for anybody who, who might need it. They sell things like T-shirts and um scrub caps and things like that. And, and they have an emblem now too. So yeah. Okay. So people can support. Yes. It's, it's a good um, organization and it's really just support vets supporting veterinarians, which is another thing. I don't know why the veterinary profession cannot be friends with each other. I guess it's um, desperation to get business so that you can keep your business afloat. Right. And then, you know, if somebody decides that they like another veterinarian better, instead of just realizing that some people click with some people and others click with others, you know, they start taking it personally. And then all of a sudden there's an unhappy relationship or conflict between whatever for really no reason whatsoever. Sure. It's that, it's that also that, lack of self-esteem or whatever that even though we're big bold people inside we're we need to save lives to make ourselves feel better right I guess well well and and you know it's interesting because what we're talking about is is largely right domestic small animal veterinary medicine right your dogs your cats your birds I don't know ferrets rabbits rats you know Snakes, maybe. I don't know. Do you do any snake stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, but there was a time when, when you considered exotic animal veterinary medicine. Yes. Yes. Can you, so what was that about and, and what made you shift to, you know, small, small animals and having to deal with all of these people who, um, some of them are not so nice. So I, when I was at that community college, I was volunteering at a wildlife shelter. And, and that was what made me realize I wanted to go to vet school. So I loved birds and, and the wildlife. So I sort of headed down the exotic path. Um, and while I was in school and <clears throat> my um, my senior year, I did an uh, externship in 
let me let's just say I did an externship at a at an exotic clinic. And um, it was at the beginning of my fourth year and it didn't turn out very well. He's kind of touchy feely, um, told me a little too much about his um, lack of sex life with his um, wife and things like that. And so and we were supposed to go to a conference together. Um, and that's why I scheduled the my externship during that particular block was so that I could go to the American avian veterinary conference. And he actually asked me to stay in his room. Mm. And so um, I came back with a little bit of a sour taste in my mouth. And that was the beginning of my fourth year. And then after that, I did um, large animal. I went to Haiti to do goat medicine. Then I did small animal medicine. And then so the exotic was sort of had kind of gotten in the past and now I'm doing small animals and goats and things like that. And, um, at the same time I decided to leave my husband and I ended up in Scotland neck, North Carolina. And it's, it sometimes life happens. Yeah. Next thing, you know, I'm doing small animals in podunk, North Carolina, where there's not even a stoplight. So no, and, and I was there, they even had a bird farm, um, but they didn't seem to need the advice of a veterinarian. So, yeah, I just, um, I didn't quite fit in there either. So I started doing relief work. So I just really did anything that came my way. Well, it's a lot of things come up for me with what you said. And, you know, this is part of a women in science series. And one of the things that women in your, you know, our generation and, and even this generation, uh, still face is when it's been a field that's dominated by older men, at least initially, like all my professors were male, um, yes. and all my graduate pr- advisors were male. And yeah, I end up in departments where it's like 70% male and, You know, I think that when you're out in the field and especially when you are a student and you are pursuing a passion and you have all these hopes for a particular trajectory and then you run into a situation where you're essentially threatened, no matter how sweetly it's packaged or harmlessly it's presented. Uh, and I, you know, so, so this is something that we still deal with and, and then it doesn't end there. There's the bias in hiring, there's the bias in, um, all kinds of, of ways that just kind of perpetuates there, there might be even a bias in how female veterinarians are treated by customers as opposed to male veterinarians. Oh yeah. And oh, yeah. yeah. And I, Absolutely. I, I see this as a professor, you know, how female professors are, are treated compared to male professors. Yeah, I have um, certain clients that um, I feel like don't listen to me. So I send my male associate. You yeah, know, there's there are several clients now that I I just there they are his because they that, you know, I will. Why do you ask me to come out to your house, examine your dog or to come see them when they're sick? And then decide what treatment you're going to do. I mean, that is what I do with medical doctors, especially male ones. <laughs> I'll go see yeah. a, med- a, me- a medical doctor and then they'll tell me the treatment they're going to do. And I'm like, yeah, 
Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't yeah, think that. I don't think so. No, yeah. I don't. But that's I've because I don't. Some of that. Yeah, I've already I don't, got some of that. How do you have any of that? You should have used all of it the last time I gave right. it to you. We have enough. All I need is two more pills. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. you know, at Scotland Neck is interesting. You told me about Scotland Neck and the tundra swans. And so, you know, it's I, I didn't know that you kind of ended up there. And that's how you you ended up focusing on on small animal uh, medicine what made you decide to do go into people's homes versus having them always come to you? There was this little thing in the back of my mind, I guess the whole time I was in vet school, right before I left, remember I mentioned that sailboat? Yes. I was still living on a sailboat. Um, I was, I lived in a sailboat in Beaufort while I went to the community college And then um, I did transfer to state and drive back and forth. I had an apartment while I was at state. The boat was in um, Oxford, Maryland on the eastern shore. And while we were getting ready to actually we were just doing boat repairs, uh, thinking we were going to take it to LSU, which is where I wanted to go to school. And I noticed out there on the eastern shore, a lot of wealthy people who had a whole lot of farms and a whole lot of wet labs in the back of Jaguars. And I was thinking, you know, instead of a clinic, I should have a truck and drive around to all of these houses and see all of these animals in there. And it it just, and then there was that exotic thing going. And after being in Scotland Neck, when I closed that clinic down, I started doing fill-in work, traveling around doing locum tenens. That's quite stressful. And it got to where I tried to stay home because of my son. He would say, when are you leaving and when are you coming back? So I started trying to work locally and I just found that I couldn't work for anybody because I didn't like how either they treated their staff or I, I can't bear to see people guilt trip clients into doing something. If they don't have the money for it, they don't have the money for it. There's got to be plan B, you know, that you're not sacrificing your quality of medicine. If you can't do plan A and do everything, sometimes you just got to do a little band-aid medicine. And so, and also I saw a lot of withholding meds for blood work. Oh, yes. How do you withhold heart meds for blood work Yeah, or withhold seizure meds for heart for blood work? That's insane. Yeah. If they can't afford it in human medicine, they sign a little waiver that says, I understand I need blood work, but at this time I can't afford it. I will do it later. Yeah. You know, so anyway, I was making all of these lists of things that I wouldn't do when I opened my own practice. And so I started doing going back to Scotland Neck on the weekends to vaccinate those animals out there that didn't have veterinarian. And again, life kind of leads you where I guess you're needed one thing and another. And I just decided to hang hang out my shingle and quit my part time jobs and see if I could do it on my own. And you have. You're amazing. And I will say that our paths crossed, gosh, in 2014. When my one of my fur family members, Peanut, had uh, thyroid 
disease. She had a hyperthyroid. Mm-hmm. And and it was a lifesaver that you came, that you existed to um, come to the home because, you know, of the three, only one, the mom, Midnight, was like enthusiastic about traveling to a veterinarian and in a carrier. She didn't care. Yeah. She was like, oh, cool. Let's go. Yeah. And the other two. Typical. <laughs> yeah. And, in, you know, and by the end, uh, Buttons, you know, which which, you know him very well, he would just go into a crate. That's fine. You know, it, it, as long as I didn't take him on an airplane. Mm-hmm. It, it was fine. It was all right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Airplanes yeah. were, you know, not not his favorite um, activity. But, you know, at that time they were uh, not. It was it was so stressful to think about trying to like I would avoid having trying to take them to a veterinarian because the idea of trying to get them into a carrier and get them in the car and and the stress of driving them and worrying and all this this stuff. And so the fact that you existed was a lifesaver. And have you found that with with other other clients that that the fact that you are able to come to the house is really just you know, been a lifeline for them and being able to care for their animals? House calls were made for cats and <laughs> old dogs, old dogs and cats. They Cats are such creatures of habit and they don't like to leave their environment. And if you put them in a box, the only time they ever see that box is when they go to the vet and they get stabbed. And um, then you drive them in the car, which they howl the whole way. Yeah. And pee and poop and throw up. Yeah. And then they so it didn't take me long to figure out that the cats think that they're there to die, you know, and if you if you realize that that's what they're thinking and you're gentle and slow and just let them make the call, if they don't want to come out of the box, just take the lid off the box and work with them there. Yeah. Or, you know, give them a blanket to hide under. Yeah. Uh, um, it does ease it a little bit, but yeah, they can't. And then I would hear this all the time. If you've got to bring them all, or if you bring one and you take it back, it smells funny. And then all the other cats beat up on them. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it really just ends up being a shitty day for whatever yeah, cat has to go to the vet. <laughs> and then they'll be mad at you and pee in your, on your pillow for taking them to the vet, you know? So I was really in- lucky. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's why I got almost scalped at night a few times. Yeah. I'm not sure. I think it was, yeah. you know, it was definitely retribution for something. Yeah. So, so, so predominantly cats and old dogs. And I imagine old dogs because it's harder for them to climb into a car and, yeah. you know, and, and, and move in general. Yeah. Um, they love a car ride until they get old. Yeah. Now, not so much fun. Yeah. Well, you mentioned at the beginning that that there's some houses you go in are immaculate and others, you know, people are are really just getting by and and then the flashing incident and hidden money. So, you know, (laughs) are there any uh, animals that stand out for you over the year? I mean, you've had a a wonderfully long you still have a career, you know, you're still seeing um, animals. But I, I feel like, you know, you're not one to forget certain individuals. And has anybody stuck out to you in, in a sort of humorous or, or really sentimental way over the years? 
Wow. It's hard to pick special ones. All of them. <laughs> the, Do you learn wow. something different from all of them? Absolutely. They, they teach us an awful lot. The, um, the funny thing is, is we think we're taking care of them, but it, in a lot of ways, they're taking care of us. Fresh on my mind. Um, I just this week went to a house where um, when I first started seeing this couple and their cat, I knew the wife had breast cancer and was going through chemo. She passed away in the middle of of COVID, um, June of 20. And so I've seen the husband since. And um, last year, he seemed a little like he had dementia. And um, I was really surprised that the house wasn't very clean. I saw him this week. He's had a laryngotomy, I guess is what you call it. And he has a trach and he speaks with a voice box and he's lost a lot of weight. And you know what? The kitty has beat me up. She has slapped me and scratched me and bitten me and all of those things. Every time I see her, this time she let me examine her and he was telling me about how their routine, how often she comes to sit up on the bed with him and how her presence has been a lifesaver to him while he's been in recovery Um, and he he was gone for nearly a month in the hospital and how often he had house. Uh, so I heard more about the pet sitters that came to the house than I heard about his time in the hospital and how many people came to take care of her and, um, that, and he seemed mighty happy. I hadn't seen him that happy in a long time. He was clear minded house was spick and span. So he was obviously feeling bad the last time that I saw him. But this kitty, I really think that, you know, he could have gotten depressed. And sometimes recovery, it doesn't happen unless you have something like this kitty that spends every day on his lap and probably purrs. Yeah. You know, and all of that attention, that company is everything. Yeah. And it motivates you to, you, you can't give up because somebody's depending on you. Exactly. Exactly. And I remember in school, now that you say that, I remember reading an article when I was in school about whether um, immune suppressed patients, such as AIDS patients should have a pet because of the parasites and the things that they carry. But could you imagine you like, okay, Oh, you're sick. You can't have your your pets anymore. Take them away. Well, there's no reason to live after that. Yeah, that is exactly why people live on. It's because they've got something to take care of. Yeah, it's a it's a two way relationship for sure. It is. And I'm curious now if you have had an experience where an owner died and the pet died shortly after. I sure have. I've uh, the one of the family members will take the animal and then come to find out the animal was also very sick. And it's almost like the animal was holding on, you know, so I find that I find that a lot. They grow old together. There's a in Tucson, there is a wonderful uh, not for profit uh, because I didn't realize how much this was a problem 
for, for especially senior citizens, they, they might have older animals and it's a not-for-profit that is set up to take in, um, dogs, cats in this case, cats in particular, whose owners have died Mm -hmm. and they're, the cats are so old. Um, they, they require medical care. Mm -hmm. And what they do is, is, is it's very small density, very low density. Yeah. And the cats are there and there's a lot of volunteers that come and play with them and, and interact with them. And then they, you can foster them, uh, for the rest of their life and all their medical care is covered. Oh, super. By the, by the not-for-profit based solely on donations. And I thought that this was. That's amazing. It is because, you know, something that I know, you know, I worried about was what if something happens to me Yeah. and who's yeah. going to take a, a, a almost 18 year old cat? Yeah. You know, I don't know that he would have survived long <laughs> without me, but you know, that was always a worry. And I remember when I, I learned about this organization, I thought, oh my gosh, what a wonderful idea because many senior people live alone. They may not have family. Yes. And then these animals end up in maybe a shelter and are euthanized instead of, of being, you know, taken care of. I've made lots of promises to um, make sure that the animal will find a good home. People who were making up their, um, uh, their wills will put money aside for the animal um, in my name. Yeah, uh, I've done that a few times. I've also seen the exact opposite: the pet die and the owner die quickly after too. That's I'm That's I'm not like surprised by that. Is dying one right after the other. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, and and I think that I'm not sure. Maybe it's changing, but you know, having recently gone through this, I'm not sure that the you know, sort of broader public appreciates the depth of grief that people feel when, when they lose uh, a companion, whether it's got four legs or two, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> yeah, or three, depending on or what three. happened to you yes. along the way, yes. you know, and I, I hear from people that it's harder to lose a pet than it is to lose a family member. And yeah. I wonder if, it's certainly not that the bond bond is stronger there. They are totally dependent on us mostly, or, or is it that people live a good long life and you do get a chance to say goodbye, but you don't feel like you get a chance to say goodbye to your pet. I'm not yeah. sure, but I it, don't, I, it's yeah. hard. Yeah. It is hard. Well, I know that functional MRI studies have shown that people's brains Uh, who have companion animals light up in the same pattern as people with children. So there's no distinction in the brain, at least according to the brain and all the structures and all the chemicals and all of that, there's no distinction for the brain uh, about whether it's, you know, a two-legged or four-legged child. And Yeah. And, and that may not be the same for every single person that owns uh, a companion animal, just like it's not the same for every person that has children, <laughs> you know, yeah. they, they don't all feel the same, but of those that express love for their children and those that express love for their companion animals, the brain lights up in exactly the same way and with the same intensity, you know, regardless of the species. And so, yeah, I think that there is just not a lot of social support 
you know, long, long social support for people who, who go through that. And I will say that you, you, I, I, I was one of those people that said, if something happens to me, will you take Mr. Buttons? Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget. You said yes. And he can even stay in my house because he's a good boy. Yes. yes. <laughs> Buttons was right. Is definitely right up there with one of my, one that has touched my heart. They all touched my heart, but in, yeah, he, he was a special dude. He was, he was a phenomenon. He was, he really was. (laughs) And I'll never forget. I came in to the office and he was just walking around. Like he owned the place, just hanging out, sniffing everything. And I always, you know, I, what I always learned from him was he just kind of, he went with it, you know, except for airplanes. I mean, everybody's got to have their thing. Mm-hmm. But he just rolled with like, oh, this is what we're doing now. And that was not his early life. He was one of the most stressed out. You might not believe this, but he slashed the abdomen of a vet tech. I believe who, it. Who tried to just put him in a crate. Mm-hmm. That not was it. it. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, yeah. you know, a jaguar t- came out. Yeah. And and that was so radically different from, you know, a few years later where it was like, oh, OK, th- this is what we're doing. All right. Yeah. So, he was an easy, chill guy. He was. But he didn't start out that way. Whew. Yeah. You know, he was a nervous, feral cat. And um, and and you do some volunteer work also for uh, feral. Is it feral cats that you do spay and neuter uh, work yes. with? Yes. Can you talk about that a little bit and, and, and what the, you know, what we can try to do to convince people, one, not to let their cats outside and, and two, you know, to spay and neuter their animals. Yes. Um, on, on Hatteras Island, I, um, there's an organization called Friends of Felines, Friends of Felines Hatteras Island, and they do a spring roundup and a fall roundup. They give me and whoever I can round up to carry my mash unit down to Avon. And we, they give us a house to stay in and we spay and neuter everything that they can catch. And I've been doing it since 2010, I think. And we're on 900 and something, 920 something. I've kept, I just keep a running total. So, uh, and what we do is we spay and neuter, tip the left ear, which tells the animal control or whoever's looking um, at this feral cat that it is has been spayed or neutered and is vaccinated. And so that is a lifesaver. Um, and animal control officers now are tend to be on board. If we can educate them, Wake County is on board with that now. And Wake County will not pick up anything with a notched ear. You can call if it's a notched ear. It's considered a community cat. And um, when we TNR, trap, neuter, return, so we return them to their spot where they came from because there's usually a colony there. And once you um, spay the colony, the colony stays stable. It doesn't grow anymore. Illness is at a minimum because they're vaccinated and also they have a caretaker. Otherwise it would be considered abandonment. Sure. So 
my, I have a cousin that lives in Hillsville and she is also doing TNR. And because it's Virginia, you mobile vets are not quite as uh, prevalent as they are here. And so they trap them in big bunches and carry them either to Roanoke or Richmond and places and then bring them back and, and put them back in the homes. And um, it's really the animal control officers are pretty easy to convince. It's the people that have all of these animals. They're a little harder. They don't want the kitten, you know, they don't want you to do it, the kitten, or they don't want you to notch the ear or something like that. But animal control officers are kind of funny because they will say, you know, I never really was on board with this, you know, that don't see it happening as something good, but they, this same house, I heard one guy say this same house every spring, come pick up these cats, come pick up these cats. He said, the last time we picked up the cats and spade and neutered them, took them back. I haven't heard from her in years. Yeah. So they, they come to realize what a beauty, what a great thing it is. Yeah. So it limits disease. It limits the population. There's an organization, which of course I forget it right now, Alley Cat Allies, that helps advise and help people get um, a community program going. They say if you've been at it for about 10 years, you can see a difference in the population. Um, I spent a lot of time in Beaufort, and there's one there called Beaufort Community Cat Project that I've helped. And and actually, the director of that, um, Paula Gillikin, was the one that gave Debbie uh, on in Avon my number. And um, you kind of, it, it's an addiction, really. I'm addicted to saving feral kitties. Yeah. And so um, the the ones out there on the island are, I see fish hooks. I see mm. all kinds of things, but most of them are in pretty good shape. They um, live out of the backs of the restaurants. There are a lot of people that feed them. Um, There are a lot of people that don't want you to trap and neuter too. So we've got both. We've got people that want to help. We've got people that don't want them. They want them. They want to just trap them and kill them or trap them and move them. But to be honest with you, if you trap them and move them or kill them, there's, there's a reason they were there. There was a food supply. There's a niche. So more cats will just come. So that's the idea of trap, neuter, return is that it will stabilize it. And the colony actually just gradually gets smaller and smaller. And have you seen that? Have you seen that uh, over successive years, your trap, neuter, release fewer and fewer? I, I believe I'm starting to see a change. I do have, there is uh, someone out there that I think is addicted to kittens and is adding to her colony and she tricks our traps. So that area is certainly not getting any smaller. But this last trip that we took in October, I saw more males than I've ever seen, particularly big headed older males, which were are very exciting to neuter. They usually if you can even find an ear to notch because they're so chewed up barred up and scratched up and they look like bulldogs. I think, did I show you the picture of Megahead who looks cross-eyed because his cheeks were so big? 
No. Um, wow. Oh yeah. So there, that's super rewarding. So we did for the very first time, more males than females. Yeah. And I'm seeing less pregnant cats. That's great. So yeah, um, maybe we're catching them in time. Well, we, you know, I did trap neuter release. I didn't do the neutering. Um, I just did the trapping and, and I believe it was probably Button's father. Um, they had the same nose, (laughs) a huge, like you said, bulldog, black male, well, probably not Button's father, unless Midnight had the recessive Siamese gene. Some, I don't know who the daddy was for Button's, but he had that kind of Roman nose and this, this cat had that nose and he was huge. I mean, solid muscle. I mean, biceps. Oh yes, and and the only thing that that convinced this seasoned wrestler, who was terrifying, <laughs> all right, terrifying, yeah. to go into a crate was mackerel. Mm. I put mackerel in that crate, and boy, did it go! And he was so busy just eating it, I closed the door behind him. Yeah. And the interesting thing was when he got to the vet, they did the the neuter. They said he was the sweetest cat mm-hmm. that they they couldn't, you know, because he must have weighed 20 pounds. I don't know. He was enormous. Yeah. And yes. and and I was so I thought for sure he was going to take somebody's face off. No, sweet as pie. They usually are. Which is so they amazing. Yeah, some of them, if if they've got a harem that they need to go back to, some of them will beat themselves up, you know, in the cage. And we give them a little gabapentin to help calm them down um, and keep them covered. That's one of my rules. Don't uncover the cat. Um, But once you've neutered a big old headed tomcat, generally my favorite saying is that it won't take them long to find their way inside somebody's house because all they want to do is sit in a window seal because they have worked so hard chasing women and beating up other men, men cats, that they're just worn out. They are yeah. so happy to be neutered and relieved of that job. Yeah. Well, and also now they're Not to anthropomorphize or anything, but I'm- yeah. Hey, listen, I zoomorphize all the time, right? Like, so, uh, yeah, we're, 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 we're really like, you know, we're making analogies that we're like them rather than them like us. But this kind of circles back to a conversation that we had about neutering male dogs. Yes. Because there's this rumor going around that if you neuter a male dog, they become more aggressive. <laughs> And so can you talk, because let's talk about this because, and what are the consequences if you fail to neuter a male dog? Well, male dogs have the need to be an alpha and to procreate. They've got two jobs, well, and to eat. But most of them, really eating is not all that important. It's just to fuel the procreating and the alpha status. Yeah, when I lit, when I worked out in Eastern North Carolina, I would see, I saw this dog, speaking of memorable dogs, come walking in. And this is where I need to stand up and do my demonstration. Comes in limping on a broken leg. And he can't, you know why he, he they brought him in because he couldn't sit down. Why Not because he's a broken leg. His prostate was so big 
from breeding for the, he'd been gone for a month, zero, half torn off, walking on a broken leg. So I was like, what in the world? Give him a rectal exam. His prostate is so big, he can't sit down. <gasps> so I'm like, you know, poor guy. He's lucky to be alive. Let yeah. me know him and this will never happen again. Oh, no. He went at, came into this world with them things. He's going out of this world with them things. So I have some figures on cats about how one cat can turn into to or a pair of cats can turn into two million in a matter of years. Right. So I wish I had had those figures here. If I'd known you were going to ask me that question, I would have had a little preparation. <laughs> but they, um, yeah, they can, to a pair of cats, I think within seven years can turn, can make 2 million cats. Wow. wow. And, can, and, for, um, and for dogs, I mean, is it the same? same. It's the same. I, I don't, I, yeah, pretty much the, um, cats I think can procreate a little bit faster. Yeah. But um, the gestation period is the same for both. It's right. 64 days for a dog and 65 days for a cat. Right. Cats will come right back into heat. I've seen them pregnant and nursing at the same time. <laughs> right. Um, overachievers, those cats. Yeah, overachievers. But so, I think so dogs do a little bit more resting in the in-between. But yeah, if you don't neuter your, your male dog, he's going to get out. The end, because his drive, as soon as he smells a female in heat, that's all he knows is that he needs to get to her. Right. It doesn't matter how much he loves his owner or how much he listens to his male owner. He that's out the window the minute he smells a female in heat right. hormones take over. And and all I have to say is 16 year old boy, 16, 17, 18. Yeah. 22. Yeah. yeah hormones you yeah. can't through them you know well, so 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 speaking of anthropomorphizing i feel like certainly more male owners over identify with the oh, testicles God. of their of their dog Absolutely. and there's this thing called nudicles have you ever been asked to put in nudicles i have never been asked but i've seen a friend of mine has put in nudicles before <laughs> yeah these and are, they're they're plastic. And and actually, unfortunately, the one animal that I saw had a little bit of a um, reaction to them. Yeah. A rejection. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Man wouldn't neuter a slug or an earthworm, you know, because he unless it was female. <laughs> he holds himself. Yes. <laughs> thinks about neutering, you yeah. know. Until the wife says, you've got to neuter him. He won't stay off my leg. You know? Well, there's that. Yes. So, yeah. um, okay. So when they start humping the child. Yeah. Sometimes you can do that. And same with females. If a, once the female comes in heat, she'll bust out of her fence too, because she's got that very same drive. Yeah. I have seen them breed between a chain link fence and tie. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, so, and so, but is it they true? They will get it done. Yeah, they will. And is it true that that when you neuter a male dog, they become more aggressive? No, they become less aggressive. There's no testosterone. They, right. There's no they still will have this dominance thing. But yeah, neutering. It, there's two reasons to stop overpopulation and yep. for behavior issues. Right. And for prostate and issues. Will, 
a male dog will hike his leg and pee inside the house for sure. Well, you know, I had barking his territory. Oh yeah. I had an unneutered Great Dane. It was not my decision to have him unneutered. And he, he pinned down a friend of mine and was nibbling at her. (laughs) A little foreplay. Uh, Uh, Oh yeah. Yeah, All over her chest. And she was like, Oh baby, no. And I swear he got Got him all excited. It did. And, and that wasn't when there was the, the, um, the penis incident, but there was a penis incident because there's another consequence Right. Uh, apparently. So there was a day where, uh, you know, he was fond of his appendage and it's, and and it got stuck out. Out. Yes. Out. I was very shocked. Yes. My my sensitive. Very large and red. Oh, it was so red. But then it started to go white. I know. But then it started to kind of go whitish. Yeah. And I called the veterinarian and they said, oh, it's you have to help it in. And I thought, oh, wait, what? Help it in where? <laughs> yeah, how? And, and you know, and so there's a moment where it's like, I can't ask you consent, actually, because you're a dog. But I'm going to just I'm going to reach in there and and give it a go and try to get that thing back in Stand where back it belongs. Up on top of that. Have, yeah. have have you seen this happen in the in, in any of your uh your dog population that you've taken care of your doggy clients? Yes, I have. One of my friends just texted me the other day and said, "I she's a pet sitter and she said I had this big dog and I didn't notice that her um Willie and the other dog were." got into a little humping fest and she said oh my gosh this thing is stuck out and it's bright red and there's two big balls at the end of it and I had snatched him up and it was like so large I didn't know what to do I thought it was broken I snatched him up and put him in the car I was ready to carry him to the emergency clinic and I look over and everything's fine what should I do I said you just saw a dog erection and she sent me the vomit emoji. <laughs> and now is a dog erection ever enough to convince a owner to neuter their dog? If they rub it on you, maybe. <laughs> and the, the story that we're leading to, which yes. you know you're going to hear. We're pointing in that direction. In that direction, yes. Oh, my poor clients. Oh, they'll know when I'm talking about them. But, but we're, not, we're not using names. The so. names are protected, are, are, are changed to protect the innocent. Okay, so I get, I get a call from uh, a client that they had to go to the emergency. And about the same time, I read the emergency report, which said that, that um, the female dog that they had the stray dog they'd picked up and not quite gotten around to getting her spayed, their husky, which they had were not planning on neutering because why would we want to take the balls from a dog who's going to look so great, you know? Yeah. He's such an awesome looking specimen. So anyway, they tied, they bred that day and um, they <laughs> thought nothing else about it. 
And um, so the female owner had gone to bed and and her husky, her intact husky, comes and jumps up on the bed with her. And this is what the what the emergency report said. Dogs had tied. Owner goes to bed. The dog jumps up on the bed, at which time she appreciates his <laughs> erection, his big <laughs> lipstick. I know it looks like a out. lipstick. Too. It does. <laughs> and this is so funny. I've said this in house call. Look, he's got his lipstick out for you. And Revlon, you know, eat your heart out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm so inappropriate. Oh, <laughs> you know, but can't help it though. No, you know, I mean, appreciate. She appreciated. She appreciated. See, that's a that you know a veterinary term where we talk about. Oh, I looked at this and I could appreciate. You know the lesions or whatever, but this just the way you know appreciating his right. erection because it comes so with a visual. <laughs> yeah. They brought him in and there's a fancy word for it. It's called parathymosis. Phimosis, and, and I, this was how I remembered it in school. Phimosis is the worst thing that could ever happen to a male. That's when it's stuck in the prepuce and can't come out. Oof, okay. Okay, para beside, next to, next to the worst thing that could ever happen to a dog is stuck out and they can't get it back in. So that's what it's called. The um, bulbourethral is an accessory sex organ that's at the bottom. Yes. It's also these, has he been neutered? These balls that I have to check out every now and then. And it's usually along the prefuse that that's part of the excitement. Okay. the the prepuce gets stuck behind that bulge. And so, and sometimes it'll get kind of swollen and it won't slip back over that. Just like that said, you've got to help him get it back in there. So yeah, I'll never forget it. Rush him off to emergency, put a little sugar on it, which helps things shrink. It pulls out fluid, helps it shrink a little bit, put a little lube on it, get it in there. And um, so she was supposed to put some ointment inside the prepuce every day. So I got called over to do that. And so I was going to show her how to do it. I ain't touching it. Mm -mm. (laughs) I'm not touching that. No. So I had to go like three or four days in a row to lubricate um, so that it doesn't get all dry and right. you know, and it could happen again, presumably. Product. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it only happened once with my my Dane, and I I was a firm advocate for neutering. I really was yeah. because, you know, he, he was sweet except when he wasn't, and mm-hmm. <laughs> a very protective to the point of dangerously yeah. aggressive. Yes, and that you know? that um, if you neuter early enough. Um, you can get that under control. Sometimes we, I wonder if it's a learned behavior, Yeah, you know, and, and if um, neutering will help, but it always calms them down a little bit because testosterone is what makes them feel manly, you know? Yes. Another anthropomorphism makes them feel dogly. Feel dogly. Well, you know, Buttons was fully neutered and yet he appreciated himself regularly. Yes. And, uh, Willie, who my friend with the vomit emoji, he is neutered, but they 
got a little excited, you know? And so, I mean, he's probably shooting blanks, but he, he managed an erection. Well, and that was very surprising, you know, yeah. uh, because one never learns that you can do all that neutering and they could still get a little excited and shoot some blanks. And yes. I will say that, <laughs> that my sweet darling buttons until about 16 and a half years old, appreciated himself almost every day, oh, every day. Yeah. Just about. Yeah. Yep. He had animals high self-esteem. <laughs> animals do that. Horses do that. Do they? Yes. How? They slap it up against their abdomen. Oh, I've seen a taper do that. And I talk about appreciating um, uh, something large. <laughs> I mean, it was shocking. I, I was a volunteer at Palm Beach County Zoo and I had to, you know, feed the tapers. And to do that, you had to get through the swans. So I know you're a bird lover. I have mixed feelings. Swans are mean. They, they are, but, but uh, birds, I have a hard time reading them. I can never remember. Oh, yeah. If, I can never remember if the pointy pupil is a bad thing or a good thing. If the big pupil is a bad or a good, I, I always mix it up. So I never yeah. know. Um, so I got through the swans to the tapers and I know the audience, you know, whoever's listening can't see, but I'm going to do the visual for, for Dr. Marty from from for where it was located slamming up to the throat oh my goodness oh yeah the entire all body the, length all the way all wow. the way and i'm i'm hitting my chest for sound effects here because it was and i my jaw dropped because <laughs> because in comparison i'd seen a giraffe running excitedly through the exhibit at miami metro zoo and it was a pencil it looked like a pencil. Well, yeah. maybe really like a straw. Okay. A very long, flimsy, thin straw. And I thought, you have a taper. So it all goes to say that body size is not predictive. No. <laughs> um, I, I know you have had a long day and we've had a wonderful conversation. I have one more question, which is, what's the strangest animal you have taken care of? Well, I've seen snakes, rabbits, guinea pigs, rats, mice, ferret. I won't touch a spider. I ain't touching oh. a spider. Wait, 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 wait. Somebody Scorpion. brought a spider to you? As, wait, you, wait. Oh, they made me hold one at school during open house. Oh, and no. Said, don't touch, don't drop the tarantula, you'll break, he'll fracture oh my oh, gosh i just can't do tarantulas tarantulas okay. one guy sorry do 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 people bring their tarantula to the vet maybe dr dan up in avian and exotic sees a tarantula or a scorpion not touching either one of them yeah no, no I, 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 I i have arachnophobia so um <laughs> but um i you know, if I think back to my wildlife days, I, we saw a little, I saw some pelagic birds, shearwater, uh, gannet, but we saw something that was a little penguin and I can't remember the name of it. It wasn't a puffin. It had a little bitty black beak, but it was a little six. Was it a little awk? A little awk? They're sort of. I bet it was. They're, they're related was. to penguins. I mean, to mm -hmm. puffins. And they look little like puffins. little penguins. Maybe yeah, it was an awk. Like little, little bitty, yeah, maybe six inches. 
Maybe yeah. a little bit more. Auk. That sounds right. Okay. I love the Virginia opossum. Most people do not. They are by far the most unappreciated, wonderful animal. It is North America's only um, marsupial. Yeah. Um, they are resistant to rabies. They okay. eat ticks. Yes. So everybody should have one in their backyard. They don't smell marvelous because they do eat carrion. Yes. Um, but they will eat cat food and you will attract opossums if you've got cat food outside. For sure. Gray cats. But the baby opossums are adorable and they're really harmless. They, everybody thinks they bite because they have all these funny looking teeth that go in all directions. But really is <laughs> about all they do. <laughs> And usually it's just mouth open and every now and then if challenged severely, they will hiss a little bit, but right. that's, that's it. You know, fall right. over dead playing a possum. Yeah. Yeah. Thanatosis, something I'm also very yeah. good at. I yeah. got, I got a bit in the neck by a chimp uh, many years ago and yeah. I, I played dead instantly. Yes. <laughs> it can be mean. Yeah, yeah it, it wasn't his. Strong. Yes, it wasn't his fault. Uh, you know, he got frightened, and I my neck was just in the wrong. Just <laughs> happened to be right in his mouth. Yeah. Just did happen to be right in his mouth. Um, yeah. So wow, yeah, I love opossums, and uh, I think that they. I agree, the baby opossums are just ridiculously cute, riding on mama's back. Oh my yeah. gosh! Well, you know, there's a spate of people who have like there's this sort of trend with like flying squirrels and hedgehogs as pets, and uh, yeah, sugar I, glider. I, don't do it. Yeah, yeah. Why not? Nocturnal. Yeah, they stay up all night long. You have to cut a bunch of fruit. Yeah. And so while you're sleeping, your pet is up making a whole bunch of noise. Yeah. Not, not, not ideal. Great. So stick to dogs and cats and leave the tarantulas, scorpions and mm -hmm. sugar gliders alone. Rats make good pets. I love guinea pig. Guinea pigs make great pets. They do. Unfortunately, the, the smaller exotics, the smaller mammals don't live very long, yeah. which is it is heartbreaking because yes, you can get in attached to a guinea pig and to a rat. Oh yes. A, yes. I used to have mice as, as a kid and I used to have guinea pigs and I've always wanted a rat. I know that they make good pets. Yes. Um, I just haven't, I haven't quite gotten there to, yeah. to do it. Um, and I see your resident kitty in the background. So um, there's Vita. And yeah. Vita loves her bearded dragon lizards that live in the clinic. I have to say, I have to put in a, a uh, plug for the beardies. Oh, yes. They're marvelous. Well, this has been so much fun. Thank you. And, and we've covered so many topics from the serious to the hilarious. And I hope I get to have you on again to talk about more. Um, we can talk about next time um, collecting semen from farm animals. Oh, good hilarious yeah yes and you know what we'll make it like when it's farm animal day or celebration day coming up we will yes. we will we do that we will have a we uh, might need that on video okay oh because there's is there demonstration <laughs> involved oh this is this is going to be special all right everybody we can look forward to that thank you dr marty edwards it's been such a joy having you it has been fun all right, everybody, that rounds out the show. 
This was a lot of fun. I know we ran a bit long, so thanks for sticking with us. Now, next week is National Farm Animal Day on April 10th. And so we're going to have a special back-to-back episode with Dr. Marty. And folks, you are not going to want to miss this because it involves, as she promised, stories of artificially inseminating a horse and so much more. So this is going to be our celebration of farm animals and having Dr. Marty back to join us. Don't forget, you can check out the show notes on jenniferverdelin.com or on Wild Connection, the podcast hosted by Podbean. If you're enjoying the show, give us a like on iTunes, Spotify, wherever it is that you listen to your podcast and leave a review. That'll help others find us too. Till next time.